Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So what if I told you that 95% of all of your problems could be solved if you could get two things right? Would you be in for it? 95%. Now, I totally made that number up, just so you'll know. But I did read on the internet that 97% of all stats on the internet are fake and made up anyway. So I figured if they can make them up, I can too. Actually, 95% is totally made up. But I'll bet you, if you looked at all of the problems in your life, you could boil them all down to two major or two primary areas of your life. So what I'm going to do this morning is I want to introduce you to those, not introduce you, I want to help you to see that these are the two areas of major frustration and difficulty in your life, and then I want to show you what the Bible says that you can do about it. Are you up for it? Okay. So if you'll open your Bibles to Colossians, that's where we're going to start, Colossians. But let me first introduce the areas, okay? Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 21. The two areas of your life that are the most difficult uh, areas of life to get right are the areas of relationship vertically and horizontally. Everything, not everything, most every problem you have is an issue of vertical relationship or it's an issue of horizontal relationship. Think about all of your problems and, and just note which one of those is that true for? Vertical is our relationship with God. Horizontal is our relationship with people. Now, I've heard it uh, in many, said in many different ways, but when it comes to relationships with people, um, there's, there's, a, there's a common phrase that, forgive me, but, but you've heard this before, and it goes like this, people suck, right? Have you all ever, has anybody ever said that? Let me see your hand, admit it, right? Why do you say that? Well, it's not really that people suck, it's that, it's that relationships are hard. Getting along with people is hard. But getting along with people, I think, is simply a reflection of the difficulty for us getting along with God. It's been said, and I happen to believe it, that every relational issue you have with another person has its root in something that is relational with God. I can't prove that to you, but if you think it through, it's probably right. An issue with another person, if, if it's for whatever part that has to do with you, there's also that issue with you and God. Could be ego, could be pride, it could be insecurity, it could be fear, it could be any number of things. So let's get to the source of this, your relationship with God. By the way, Jesus agrees with this. The scripture tells us that in, in Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, right? These religious Pharisees came up to Jesus. They were the teachers of the law. They knew what the Ten Commandments were. They were trying to test Jesus, and they were trying to trick him. They were going, uh, let, let's, let's catch him in a, in, a, in, in a verbal blunder. So they said, good teacher, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And his answer was very simple. He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you think about it, love the Lord your God, and the second one, love your neighbors yourself, that is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, as given in Exodus chapter 20, the first four are vertical relational issues. The last six are horizontal relational issues. Beginning, the, the last six, beginning with honor your father and mother, 
going all the way through don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, right? So you've got this very clear outline that relationally we are challenged. Now for the vertical relationship, it's difficult. Oh, by the way, in Luke 2.52, the Bible says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He understood this, and he was dealing in his relationships as well. So vertical relationship. Why is it a problem getting along with God? And am I the only one that has trouble with this sometimes? Does anybody else struggle with getting along with God? It's not that God is hard to get along with. It's that sometimes I just don't understand how to get along with him. And sometimes I'm just a bonehead and I don't want to get along with him, right? Sometimes I just don't want to submit to his authority in my life. And so that causes me problems. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 and following gives us the reason why relationally with God there can be difficulty. Verse 21 says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So he says, at one time, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil behavior. So here's the deal. All of us are enemies of God. If you have another translation, if you have a KJV or a New International Version, you might see um, that, that you are... Um, uh, it says alienated and enemies. That word enemies might be there. Essentially what that means is there's a broken fellowship between us and God. And the problem is that sin separates us from God. And what makes it even more difficult to deal with is that all of us have sinned. Now what is a sin? A sin is anything that violates the law of God. How many sins does it take to separate us from God? One. I mean, think about it. How, if, you, if you take a rope and you stretch it out, how many cuts in that rope does it take to break the rope to where the rope can no longer be used? One. The truth of the matter is, though, we've cut that joker up all over the place. Just compare your own righteousness to the Ten Commandments. Have you ever told a lie? Okay, if you said no, then you just lied right there. Right? Have you ever stolen anything? Or as we would say in the South, have you ever stole nothing? Have you ever stole anything? S-T-O-L-T. Of course, we've stolen something. I don't know about you. I've told you this before, but when I was an elementary school kid, I stole a piece of candy from the, or an item from the bake sale. I mean, I did. Man, I was looking at it. I didn't have the money that I needed. And so I just took it. I did one of the snatching grabs. And I was caught. So not only did I steal, I then lied. So I was guilty of two of them, and I was like, what, six years old? I was in kindergarten, and I was a thief and a liar. Imagine that. And, and, and then I didn't like the guy who caught me, and so you could have even said I was guilty of murder as well, because in my head I was doing bad stuff to him, right? Think about it. If you compare yourself to the Ten Commandments, how many times have you broken them? Let's just suppose that you're really good. Let's just suppose you break one a day. That's 365. Now let's just multiply your age times 365. If you're 10 years old, that's 3,650. No, that's 300. 
six, wait, yeah, 3,600, it's, it's a bunch. Because <laughs> my math is not super good. What if you're 20 years old? What if you're like me, almost 50? In three years, I'll be 50. 50 times 365, that is a lot of violations in God's law. So should I be separated from God? Well, yes. If God's, perfect, if God's standard of, of relationship is perfection, then of course, I'm, I'm separated, I'm broken. But here's what the Bible says. At one time, you were alienated. At one time, you were enemies. So that separation for me and for many of you was a historical event. Why? This is written to the church at Colossae. So the church that was there was, was, was here, were hearing these words. And Paul was saying, at one time you were alienated from God, but God did a thing. I've always wondered what that meant. Somebody did a thing. We see that on Facebook a lot, right? I did a thing. I think I may have even said it at one point. Here's the thing that God did. God reconciled us to himself. That means he took the brokenness, the broken relationship, and he made it whole. Now, to reconcile something is to square up, or it's to even out, or it's to balance. We think of reconciling, uh, at least I do because I'm old, I think of reconciling a checkbook. For those of you who are under 20, that's these pieces of paper that's money. It's amazing. You get a book from the bank full of money, and you just, you just put whatever amount you want in there. No, you really can't, can you? It's a, it's a piece of paper, but at the end of the day, that piece of paper has to match what's inside of your bank. To reconcile means you match what the bank says you have with what you say you have, and the goal is to even up to where the things are balanced, right? So God has reconciled us through the physical death of Jesus, that's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So the reconciliation was God's idea, and it was his doing. He reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ's death. It's not just something we do on Easter. It, it literally is the foundation of all the hope that we have in life if we're a follower of Jesus, that we have been made right with God. And so that reconciliation was, was, was completed by his death. And the Bible says that through that reconciliation, we have pre been presented holy, faultless, and blameless. Think of those words, holy. Holy means set apart. It means perfect. Holy, faultless means there's nothing wrong, there's nothing broken. Blameless. Blameless is one who is pure and right. So in the eyes of God, as followers of Jesus, because we've trusted in him by grace you're saved through faith, we've been made holy, blameless, faultless before God. But here's the deal. That is our standing. That is our position in Christ. But every single day, we have to be relationally right with God. Let me explain it this way. In, two, in 1995, on June 25th, I stood at the end of the, of the, front of, uh, the aisle at the front of the church, and this woman dressed in white stepped into the aisle. And I was like, oh! 
I mean, I was just, it was incredible. She's, I mean, this aura of glow, and she walked down the aisle, and I was like, really, this is happening, right? I said, I do, and she said, I do. I don't know if you know this, but I actually sang this to Shannon on our wedding day. I forgot the first words, though. Did you know that? She, the, the song was, uh, I will be here, totally rabbit, but I'm just going to chase it because it's here. Uh, I, I didn't practice the song enough, apparently, and the piano player played through the beginning, and she played it again, and she played it again. And through the fourth time, I'm finally like, I don't know the first words. So she, of course, corrected me and told me what I'm supposed to sing, and it's been that way ever since. But in that moment, we said, I do, and the words were, till death do you part. Yes, I do. We entered into a relationship. It was a covenant. It was a contract that we would be husband and wife until one of us died or killed each other. So um, that covenant, though, meant that for the last 27 years, we've never disagreed. We've never fought. We've never slept on the edges of the bed, right? We've never not had this just ooey gooey, feely, I love you with all of my heart kind of feelings. And I hope you catch the facetious craziness of what I'm saying, right? No, we never got unmarried because we said till death do we part, but there's been a little bit of stress in our house at times. And that stress is the relational part that we have to work on every single day. And that is precisely what we have to do with God. But here's the difference between a marriage and a relationship with God. With a marriage, the husband and the wife have something to improve upon. Well, kind of. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, she doesn't have much to improve upon at all. Do I get points for that? Okay, I'm lying. We all have stuff to improve on. The, the, the thing about a marriage is... is She's got to grow and I've got to grow for us to be relationally right with each other. Very rarely is she totally wrong and I'm totally right. If you don't believe me, ask her. She'll tell you. But it's true. Very rarely am I totally wrong and she's totally right. There are times, but very rarely. Usually it's like an 80-20, a 60-40, you know, something like that. So I got to fix my part. She's got to fix her part. With God... It's always 100% on us. Always. So if something's wrong in our relationship with God, it's not because God didn't do something or God responded in a way that was wrong. It is always an issue with us. How do I know that? Because God is perfect. God is perfect and holy in every possible way. He makes no mistakes. God is eternal. God is forever. We're the ones who are still trying to figure this out. But here's the beauty of the relationship that God has started with us if we've trusted in Jesus. He not only has reconciled us, he's brought us into his, 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 his family, but he is the one who helps us be in a right relationship with himself. He does more work in us than we do in us. So our responsibility relationally with God to maintain a right standing with him, I'm not talking about eternal standing, I'm talking again relational, right? The way, the, what, what, what our responsibility is, is to listen 
and obey or do or respond with what God says for us to do. It really is that simple. If you want to be right with God, all you have to do is what he says. Be hearers of the word and doers of the word. That's James chapter 1. We're to be hearers and doers. And so the rest of this passage says, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel. So to be grounded and steadfast, we've got a storm possibly coming, right? I mean, Tuesday, 2 a.m. or something, it's supposed to hit like Gulf Breeze, like we're the, we're the center of the target. Shocker, right? But don't worry, it'll change in the next 24 hours. So knowing that storm is coming, we're going to tie down some stuff, right? Prefer, preferably barges are the first on the list. I'm, I'm, told, that, I'm told that they've been, they've been stationed far, far away from the bridge. <laughs> um, but, but our trees... You know, the thing, we're, our concern is that the wind would push, it, push, push something away. To be rooted and grounded in faith means that we have roots that are deep, and those roots are essentially holding on to, uh, to give a, a foundation and a stability so that no matter what happens up here, the tree's not going anywhere. To be rooted and grounded in your faith means that you have deep roots based on truth. So let me give you two things that you and I have to do if we want to be rooted and grounded in faith, okay? It's so simple a caveman can do it. So simple. Not, no offense to any caveman out in the audience. Here's the deal. God's Word has everything you need to be in relationship with God. It's all sufficient. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is living and active it's a double-edged sword, able to divide bone and marrow. It's, it's able to get into the cracks and crevices of our heart and do, and do surgery in areas that we don't even know that we need surgery. God's Word is, is the Word of the ever-living, almighty, all-powerful creator of the universe given to us, spoken, the breath of God. Not just the Word of God, but we also have the Word made flesh, Jesus. And we don't have just the, the Word made flesh, Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit that is living inside of us as, uh, 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 as our, our convictor and as our encourager and as our strengthener. So God has done everything He needs to do for us to know Him. We have to simply learn to hear and obey. Uh, a recent study, I say recent, it's been the last eight or ten years, a study has shown that the number one um, um, determinator, her terminator, that's a, that's a movie, uh, the number one uh, way that people can have uh, an active and growing faith, the number one thing that they can do to be satisfied and active and growing in their faith is not going to church, although we should, it's not singing songs, although we should, it, it's not even doing good works in service, although we should. The number one indicator of your spiritual depth and growth is your time in God's Word on a personal basis. Did you know that? How much you look at God's Word will determine how well you know God. Let me say it differently. If you don't know God's Word, you can't know God. Now, you can know about God. 
And you can hear other people teach you about God. But the way that God reveals himself to us primarily is through his own word. So that's pretty simple, isn't it? So it's God's word. That's how you're rooted and rounded and then uh, grounded. And then the second thing is prayer. But prayer is hard. Squirrel, right? Does anybody have a difficult time praying besides me? People are like, well, you're a preacher. Of course you can pray. No, it's hard. Why? Because I got 100,000 things in my head. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on building something 10 years from now. I'm in the planning stage of it. Eventually, eventually, it usually kind of sort of sometimes gets built. But I'm this long-term planner kind of guy. But because of that, I'm always thinking about it. Anybody else? Or maybe you not, you're not planning or thinking about building something. You're just thinking about all the things that you need to fix. Or maybe you're worried about everybody else's feelings. Or maybe you're worried about today and what you're going to have for lunch and fix for lunch. So we've got all these thoughts. And so the idea of us stopping and centering our heart and our mind on God and talking with Him, which makes it even more difficult when we cannot see His face. Shannon and I have this conversation all together. Literally, it happened yesterday. Shannon, if you're talking to me, I don't know because I'm not looking at you. You're in another part of the house. Anybody? Guys, you can raise your hand. Give me some love here. We have this conversation all the time. If, you're not, if I'm not looking at you, I don't know you're talking at me. Right? If you're talking back here, I'm basically going to ignore you because I don't want to waste time just listening to everything else. Right? I want to see you face to face. But think about this. You're not looking at God face to face. I mean, when we pray, a lot of times, well, the, the natural thing is to close our eyes and bow our head. Usually when I close my eyes and bow my head, that's a sign to go to sleep. I mean, that's my brain signal, take a nap, right? Anytime, any place. So then, okay, well, I'm just going to pray with my eyes open. Great. Now I see a sound guy, and I see a clock, and I see lights, I mean, can you ever escape it? Here's the thing, though. Prayer is hard, but when you learn to pray, you have become the most powerful person on the planet. Not about you. It's about God. What I'm saying is when you are, have learned to pray, you have grabbed the ear of the one who created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. In other words, the president of the United States, the king of a country, the owner of a multi-billion dollar business is less powerful than an old lady who's on her knees talking to God the Father. Old lady, young lady, what a child. So what is our job to stay in a right relationship with God? We have to learn to read the Bible and not just read it, but to let the Bible read us. And we've got to learn to talk to God. There's a reason that the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, these are the disciples who followed Jesus. They, they listened to his every word, and yet they still said, teach us how to pray. Here's why I think they asked that. Number one, because it was hard, but number two, because they saw him pray, and they were like, I want to pray that way. I want to pray that way. If you want a right relationship with God, learn to study the Scripture. 
and be doers of the word, not hearers only. Let me give a little tip on how to study the scripture. Instead of reading it devotionally so that you feel good, read it with the question, what is God asking me to do? And don't try to read a bunch of it. Just when you're reading, read up until the point where God tells you to do something or something that you can create an action for it. And then once you know, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do, literally do it. And what's going to happen is God's word will become lodged inside of your heart. The scripture tells us, your word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. If you don't sin against God, you have a right relationship with God, which means the vertical relationship is not a problem. And here's the cool part. If this relationship is correct, these other relationships are easier, not, not easy, but easier, less complicated to work out. So let's talk about them. Vertical relate or horizontal relationships, I mean, what can you say? I, I've told you before, I've been doing studies of, of churches who have gotten things right and gotten things wrong, and, and every time a, a pastor, it, it, there's a conflict and he leaves, I want to go back and I want to study, why did that happen? Mainly because I don't want to do the same thing, right? And, and we see patterns of this happening. But one thing that I've noticed in my study of, 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 of churches who have just kind of fallen apart is it's almost always a relational issue. Almost always. But oftentimes, it is a multiplicity of relationships that have gone south. Here's another thing that I discovered. Not a soul on the planet is immune to relational problems. So pat yourself on the back. Good job. You mess things up just like the person next to you. You have broken relationships all over the place. And if you have any length of time in your life at all, you've got a trail of bodies. Let that picture sit, right? There's a trail of bodies in your past, broken relationships that you're just like, well, dang, I must be the worst human on the planet, right? I mean, th this is sometimes what we're tempted to think. Now, if you're young, you haven't gotten to that point yet, but just let a few years go on you, and you're going to realize that relationships through your path, man, they just, they get all messed up. Matter of fact, I'm mad at people. I, I say this jokingly, but I, this is true. I'm mad at people. I don't even remember why I'm mad at them, right? You ever have that happen? You're with somebody, and you're like, I don't like you. I don't quite remember why, but I just remember I don't like you. And so I, I guess I ought to stick with that, right? And, and the reality is most of the reasons that there is an offense going on with people, five years down the road, it was really dumb. And if, and if you and that other person could sit in a room and go, you know what? Do we even remember why we have this thing going on? Um, well, I think it was, uh, I don't know. I had something happen a couple years ago that helped me. I was in Lowe's. I very distinctly remember. I was in Lowe's about aisle 13. I was walking through shopping, and God spoke to me. For some reason or another, he gave me the, he gave me the passage about the year of Jubilee. Now, if you look in the scripture, the year of Jubilee is an Old Testament concept when God said that... Uh, all debts are to be forgiven. It's a year of jubilee. Everything is forgiven. Everything is a, a, a brand new start. It's a redo. It's a reset. And here's what God very clearly said to me in that aisle in Lowe's. He said, Jeff, 
It's a year of Jubilee for every one of your relationships. And I'm like, ooh, I'm not sure I want to do that. Because, I mean, I had some really good reasons to be angry at some people. I mean, I had some really good reasons to be kind of bitter, right? I mean, you, you can't pastor a church and not have brokenness going on. I mean, it's just, it's just the, the here's, here's a fun fact. A lot of times when you're trying to help people, you become the target of their anger. They were angry about something else. You will step in to help, and now they become angry at you, and you're the problem. How does that work, right? So I was in this aisle, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So in my own heart, I pushed a reset button. I decided right there, everybody that I am not, everybody I don't like, everybody I would never invite to my house for Thanksgiving, suddenly everybody has an invitation. And it literally was, and here's why, because I had realized that even though I couldn't necessarily name all the people that there was something, I I realized that even though it wasn't always top of mind, it was always in the bottom of my heart. And the more you stack these broken relationships up, the more you realize that they're a weight that just pulls you down. And the more you realize that before long, you're mad at everybody. Am I, can anybody, can, can anybody, anybody with me on this one? It's the way that humans are. And so literally I said, all right, reset. From now on, everybody gets a free pass. Everybody is a brand new start. I declare a year of jubilee in relationships. And I was like going, wow, I feel better already. No joke. I turned the aisle, and there was a guy that I had a relational problem with a couple of years prior. And I'm like, really, God? Really? I mean, couldn't we just pretend this was the case? Now you're going to have to make me face somebody? I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it. Hey, man, what's going on? I gave him a hug, and we talked. And that was the moment which God's grace was super sufficient because he said, see what you've been missing by having a broken relationship? Do you see the joy that you've lost? Multiply that by however many people there are and recognize that it is not worth holding the grudge any longer. You want freedom? Be relationally right horizontally. Give everyone a new start. Now, I want to give a little caveat here. And I want to show you something here about this in the Scripture. There is not a button for some offenses. I want to acknowledge that. There, not everybody gets a free pass just like that. Because some people have hurt so deeply and so badly that you just can't, you just can't pretend it's not there. So I'm not suggesting that even for those things, okay, all is good, and pretend it's not there. No, because you can cover it up with with dirt, but it's still rude. It's still a, a, a brokenness. For those relationships, the process is different. The process for that is first off to do what Jesus said. Pray for those who persecute you. If your enemy asks you to walk one mile, you'll walk two. If he tells you to give you his cloak, give him another. It's the process of beginning to deal with your heart and God on that relational issue. And then as you deal with God on it, God has a way of mending the the horizontal relationship as well. But let's get back to this. You may give everybody a pass... 
You may offer forgiveness without needing to, to... What if you offered forgiveness without them asking for forgiveness? Now, asking is a good thing, but what if you said, you know what, I'm just going to choose to forgive because it is in my power, in my own heart, to forgive the offenses um, that I'm holding against somebody else. Nobody else can do that but you. What if you chose to give that forgiveness whether or not it was asked for or whether or not it was received? Because that's the other part of the equation. Just because you make things right or try to make things right doesn't mean that they are going to want to or that they are going to receive it or that they're going to reciprocate it. But that doesn't take away your own responsibility. So how do we do this? Let's get, let's get the rubber on the road, okay? We're going to be done. How we do this in the book of Proverbs. Go with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. I'm going to show you four Proverbs that will walk you through how to have right relationships. Proverbs is right after the book uh, of Psalms in the Bible. So right in the middle and then to the right just a little bit. Proverbs 15.1 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, or turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. So the first thing is how you speak and what you say. A gentle answer. A gentle answer is both the tone and it's the words. Um, you know as well as I do that you can incite anger by what you say and how you say it. Um, that's the power of words. Again, James tells us that the tongue is set on fire by hell. That's a powerful, it gives a comparison between giant ships controlled by a small rudder. That's your tongue and my tongue. Our tongue is our worst enemy or our greatest asset. We've got to learn to tame it. And this is speaking not because I've mastered it, but because I struggle with it, just like I'm sure all of us do. And so a gentle answer turns away wrath. Now, how can you give a gentle answer? Well, fortunately, Proverbs chapter 18 gives us the next step. Let me show you the right. Proverbs 18, 13 says, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and disgrace for him. Ooh, that one hurts. I told you last week, I'm the king of answering before you ask, or answering while you ask, right? I get dinged for this all the time at home. All the time. I try to answer. The way that you can give a gentle answer to turn away wrath is to listen before you speak. Again, the scripture tells us in James that it, we're to be slow to uh, speak, uh, uh, slow to become angry, but we are to be quick to listen, right? So slow to be angry, but quick to listen means that we're listening not just for what's being said, but we're listening to what's not being said. I have, uh, I'd like to say I've mastered this one because God has blessed me in my house with three women. Now, and I'm not, I'm not picking fun. I'm just recognizing the fact that in my household, maybe not yours, but in my household, what's said is not really what's being said. 
So there has to be this discerning, deciphering thing going on. Because when, when somebody says something, the question is, well, are you really saying that or are you really saying this? And Shannon will tell you, this is our biggest, uh, when we fight, this is what we fight about. Because what she said is not what I heard. Actually, that's not true. I heard what she said. I just didn't hear what she was trying to say. That's more like it. And again, that's not a slam. It's just that her communication style and my communication style are totally different. Very, very different. Fortunately, Joshua often hears what she's trying to say or what she's saying, but I'm not hearing. And he deciphers or Hannah's really good about that as well. And it'll be like, oh, I don't know how you got that, but okay, right? And then at the same time, I'll say something, and I'm, no, I'm literally saying exactly what I'm saying, but she's reading into what I'm feeling. And so it's like, wait a minute, I didn't say that. I said I want a banana split for dinner. I didn't say I hate your roast. I mean, it's, how, how do you, but, but truthfully, is this not the issue? How do you deal with this? Well, you, you answer softly. You can answer softly only when you've heard what's being, say, what's being said, right? And then the next verse is uh, chapter 19, verse 11. This is one step deeper into this. A person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. So I'm answering softly because I've heard what you're saying whether or not you said it, I'm, I'm, I'm listening more deeply. It's called active listening. And because I'm actively listening, my, 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 my response to you is to not be offended. Turn to the person next to you and say, I will not be offended by everything anymore. Seriously. Here's the deal. We get offended by anything and everything, and usually the offense is something we've made up in our head that actually didn't happen, right? Somebody does, doesn't do something, we take that as a personal insult, and we build this whole giant narrative around what, what didn't even happen, and now we're angry, and we've got confusion, and we're, we're seething with, with this feeling of bitterness, and we finally say, hey, this and oh, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that. We can eliminate all of that if we allow ourselves to cover over an offense, I got a challenge for you. Choose this week to be offended only half the time. Give yourself half of an offense, okay? So let's say your average offend rate is 100 times a week. Cut that down to 50. That should be doable, right? Not only will you have to choose what to be offended about, but you also are going to have to really examine, is it worth a broken relationship? Sometimes it is. Listen, I'm not making light of this. Sometimes the offense is so great that it's worth a strained relationship because you don't want to reward bad behavior and you don't want to just give people a pass when they really need to be dealt with on something. But at the same time, most of the offenses we have, if we're really, really honest, we don't really need to fight about it. We don't really need to, 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 to deal with it. I mean, it really, it's, it's tomorrow, it's, it's gone, Right? The thing that has made Shannon and I's marriage infinitely better is that the both of us are intentionally choosing not to be offended by each other's 
words, thoughts, assumptions, and it, and it makes life way better. Way better. Because we're assuming the best. Not always, but for the most part, it's way, way better. How can you choose not to be offended? This is the best part. Philippians, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. This is the best part, I think. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love, true love, covers over a multitude of offenses. How can you not be offended? Choose to love the person like Jesus loves them. Choose to love them. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that you respond, I'm going to love you like Jesus, but I'm going to smack the ever-living snot out of you. No, I'm not saying that kind of love, because that's not really love, right? I've thought that before. You might have too. It's, I choose to actively love you in spite of your shortcomings. I choose to love you even though I should be and I could be offended I choose, here it is, I choose to give you grace, which is unmerited, unearned favor. I choose to forgive you even though you don't know you deserve or even though you don't know you need it. See, all of that is within our power to do. Can I tell you this? If you'll learn to love God and if you'll learn to love each other, You'll have much better relationships and you will have a much less complicated and stressful life. Guaranteed. So this morning, my question... Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you. There actually is one way to not um, have relational problems. I did discover one way. It's a secret. I'm going to share it with you. One way that you cannot ever have a relational problem with, another, with God, yes, but not with other humans. And it's like this. Just go to the store. Get yourself a ball. Become stranded on an island. Draw eyes and a nose and a mouth and call him Wilson. That's the only way. Y'all remember Castaway, right? That's the only way. Every other way in life, you're going to have to deal with people. But people don't suck. People are beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The greatest joys in life are when you have people that you can live life with. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? I want to invite you, first off, to be made right with God. If you don't know for certain that you have a relationship with God that is right, if you don't know that you've been born again, that you've been forgiven of your sin, I would invite you to do that now. Say, God, I know that my sin condemns me and separates me, but I know that I need you. So by faith, I invite you into my life and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Make me a part of your family. If this morning you've got some relational issues that just haven't been worked out, I want to invite you to do what you need to do to make those worked out. Maybe it's not an instant thing, but for, I don't know, 80 or 90%, you can go ahead and just push the reset button right now. Believe me when I tell you, it feels really good. Push the reset button.
Declare a year of jubilee. Set everybody free from the bondage of your bitterness. And what you're really doing is setting yourself free. And those other more difficult relationships, ask God to intervene. Ask God to reconcile. Allow His Word to do His job. Father, I invite you into our relationships. I invite you into, um, into our thoughts. Lord, you're already there, but we, we invite you because we recognize we need you. Only you can make things right. So this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Find out more about 